Opens with this I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That is, that's what we just did singing that song, and that's what we're going to continue to do this morning is exalt God's name together because of the riches of his mercy and grace that he's poured out on our lives and we are so glad that you have chosen to join us this morning in celebrating God together as we continue to do so would you please pick up your worship folder hopefully you picked one up as you walked in inside that worship folder you'll find all sorts of information about what is currently going on in the church and then this thing I dropped here on the floor there we go inside there you'll find a checking card and if you would, it would be really helpful if you just took a quick moment to fill this out. Or if you don't like paper, you can get on our, uh, your phone and download the Church Center app, and you can fill it out digitally as well. On the back of this card, there's an opportunity for you to list any prayer requests or praises you'd like to share with us, and we um, consider it a privilege to come alongside you and pray with you um, throughout the week on whatever is on your heart. So if you would, when you're done at the end of the service, you can slide this um, card in the white, either white table at the entrances, um, and we will collect those at the end. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, we want to extend a special welcome to you, and we're very glad you're here. 
And we would encourage you to hold on to this checking card. And just outside these double doors, is there a, there's a welcome desk. You may have already walked by it. But if you take this to them at the end of the service, they can answer any questions that you have about the church. And they also have a gift to give to you. And we'd love to just meet you through the welcome desk as well. Well, there is an awesome opportunity coming up for us to reach out and minister and love to our community. And that opportunity comes in the form of MacaFest. So on July 16th, it's a Saturday, there's an opportunity to serve the community. So if you are of high school age or older, you can sign up to serve in the MacaFest food tent. There's lots of different opportunities to serve. You can help grill, serve, be a cashier, or you can bust tables. So lots of different opportunities based on maybe what you have skills doing. And all you have to do is on the back of this uh, check-in card, there's an, a spot where you can sign up for a time to serve. Also on the church app, you can do it. Or you can contact the office if you decide a little later to serve. But what an awesome opportunity for us to continue to love our community, to serve and to put ourselves in situations where we can expose people to the gospel and to get into gospel conversations. So I encourage you guys to prayerfully think about uh, a time where you can serve on that Saturday. Before we continue singing, would you please bow your head with me in prayer? Father, you have shown us your great love that while we were yet your while we were yet sinners, while we were your enemies, while we were hostile to you, you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. You plucked us as a brand from the fire. You have created a new life in us. You have caused us to be born again to a new hope, a living hope. And now we are so certain and sure of our hope and our salvation that you have seated us with Christ in heavenly places, that our spiritual blessings and inheritance are already stored away for us in heaven. We worship you, Lord, for that this morning. We praise you that you have broken the chains and power of sin in our lives, that you have paid the penalty for our sin. You have set us free from guilt. And now we are free to serve you, Lord, with joy and gladness and to make you known among this world. So I pray that you would help us to focus our hearts and minds on you this morning as we sit under your preaching of your word, I pray that you would transform us, and I pray that you would help us to sing out freely as we sing to you, as we sing to one another the wonderful truths of your word. We ask for your blessing over this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're, before I ask you to stand, I want to tell you, we're going to sing a new song this morning. It's called Never Cease to Praise, and the, the words are so rich in this song, but it really captures the essence of what we're studying in Ephesians it's our heart's desire to never cease to praise God for everything that he's done. But as we continue to build up the body, as we continue to encourage one another, this song really helps us remind us that this is something we're doing together. That being a Christian is not something you can do by yourself. But that ever since the moment Jesus saved you, you have, your soul has been knitted into the body of Christ. And we are dependent upon each other as we serve in one another and as we praise our Savior together. So would you please stand and if it helps you can listen to the first verse while we sing it and then join on the second as we sing this precious song. Mm -hmm. 
upon Jesus that will not lose heart in our struggle with sin and through suffering no endurance may we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ to rejoice in trials and be not surprised may our hearts be so consumed by you that we Spirit, that the gospel's truth may resound on earth, that all living things may hear it. May the fruits of faith mark the path we trod through the life of Christ to the glory of God. May our hearts be so consumed.
team. So good to sing together. It'll be great when we're in heaven and singing all together uh, in the presence of God. Let's, uh, let's pray here this morning. Lord, we thank you for today and we're thankful that we can come together and worship, that we can study your word and what a privilege that is, that we know what it is and that we can honor you by following it. Lord, we look to you this morning. Some come here that are weary and are waiting for you. Some are joyful. Some are sinking into the mud and are scrambling for a foothold. But we are all thankful for your mighty works. We're thankful for your son's, uh, son's coming, that salvation has come, and that we can have hope, and that we can have eternal hope with you. Forgive us for looking to this world for answers, for looking to ourselves, um, that we can solve our own situations. Um, but know that, uh, please remind us today and this coming week that uh, it is you uh, that 
uh, we need to draw near to. It is you that is the answer. It is you that brings joy. Please encourage us today. Please help us to encourage one another, that we will love one another, that we will lift one another up, uh, that we will hold one another up as we uh, draw near to you. We're thankful for this summer. Give this summer an opportunity that we can glorify you through um, VBS, whether that's here or at Goodfield, and also the MacaFest. We have an opportunity to serve our community and love our community. We're thankful for Liberty Bible Church. Help them uh, to be strengthened as a church family, uh, that they will love their community. We're also thankful for Gabby and Mateo Alzante and their continued witness in San Francisco. Uh, We ask that their friends on the street, that uh, their hearts will soften to the good news of the gospel uh, as they show uh, your love for them. We're also thankful for Gabby's graduation and her master's program. Let her use what she has learned for your glory, uh, that she will be humble in what she has learned and rely on you. We're also thankful for our John and Missy uh, Camiola as they give them safety as they travel, uh, that you will bless them, uh, that you'll strengthen them, and that you'll continue to build relationships that they can use for your glory, Lord. Be with us this week uh, that we will glorify you We'll always remember uh, that you are the God that knows all and sees all, that you are mighty in your works, uh, and you are faithful despite our faithlessness, Lord. We look to you today. Amen. Would you please, if you're able, stand with us one more time as we sing this song. That is a prayer that God would prepare our hearts to be transformed by the preaching of his word. Thanks, though. 
to the worship team for leading us so faithfully there. That final song is a, uh, it's a prayer. It is a prayer that asks for God to make himself clear to us through the preaching of his word. Preaching is a weird thing, right? You sit and you listen. You think about all the ways that you sit and you listen to things in this world. You sit in front of television programs or news shows, whatever it may be. The preaching of God's word is meant to open hearts and to change lives for God's greater glory. And so it is a privilege for us to be able to come together as we open God's word this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles available to you, turn on over to Ephesians chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible, no fear. We have two of our best-looking men in the church who are ready to get a Bible into your hand. Just throw your hand up in the air there, and they would be happy to make sure you get a copy of God's word this morning. Are you thankful that we have a God who has made himself known to us, that we can obviously certainly know something about God when we look outside and we see the beauty of creation or when we look and study the complexity of of the human nature, but it's only through this book that sits in your lap this morning that we can actually truly know God. He has not left us to wonder who he is. He has not left us to wonder what he is like. He has not left us to wonder what he expects from us. No, he has clearly made it known to us today, and it is our desire to better know more of him as we come to his word this morning. Over the last several weeks, we've had the privilege to really launch into this new study here in the book of Ephesians. We've covered the majority of chapter 1 all the way up through verse 14. The last three weeks, we've looked at all these spiritual blessings that we have been afforded in God through our redemption. God calling us before the foundations of the world to be conformed to the image of his son, to be called to an eternal hope that he sent his son into this world to actually purchase and secure that redemption for us. 
And ultimately then sealing us with the promise of his Holy Spirit that is the guarantee of the hope to which we have been called. I mean, so much that we could have said over these last three weeks, we've only scratched the surface of all that has been given to us in Christ. And if that one sentence, by the way, if that one sentence was not enough for you, then we have another long sentence to tackle again this week as we look at verses 15 to 23. So one last time, if you are able, uh, please stand as we read God's word together. We're going to read from verses 15 down through the end of the chapter into verse 23. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is a teaching of God's word this morning. You may be seated, and you, if you would, please bow with me as we pray and trust our time to the Lord now. Our Father, what a privilege it is to come before you in prayer, especially as we have the opportunity this morning to, to look at a prayer, to see Paul pour out his heart for this church that had become so near and dear to his own Uh, ministry and his encouragement. And Lord, as we unpack the riches of it this morning, pray for wisdom. We want to better know you. You make it very clear from your word. You, You desire that we would know you on a deep, intimate level, that we would understand the riches and the power that are accessible to us. And yet we need your help. We recognize that this is no easy task, and so we pray that as your word is expounded this morning, you would open our hearts and our minds to behold it in all of its beauty, and that you might, as a result, change our lives, that you might alter our perspectives, that we would live differently as a result of it, not for our own sake, Lord, but ultimately for your greater glory. So help us this morning. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need your spirit to move through the teaching of your word. So we ask that you would do that now for us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it was in 1989 that NBC launched a new series of public service announcements on their television programs, a series called The More You Know. Some of you may be familiar with The More You Know. You can see from the nice pixelated image, this is something that goes back way back in the day. But The More You Know was a short little 
advertisement that was launched on their programs that featured various famous actors, popular musicians, even key political figures, all making short yet powerful appeals and plugs on matters related to education or health or social well-being. Had a lot of fun going back and watching some of those here this week. But the idea was that the more you know about a particular matter, the more you will know then how to respond appropriately. In other words, what you know changes how you live. I think that's the very idea that Paul sets before us this morning in these final verses of Ephesians chapter 1 where he shows us that God delights for his people to grow in their knowledge of his spiritual blessings. It's God's heart and his desire that we would know more of him and particularly as Paul has been drawing out here so far in this letter that we would know all the riches that are afforded to us in his saving plan. On the heels of this marvelous long sentence that we've covered over these last three weeks in verses 3 through 14 showcasing these spiritual blessings that God has bestowed on us, Paul now responds in thanksgiving and prayer And his response gives us a window into the heart, not only of the apostle himself, but of God. What God desires ultimately for his people. And it reminds us that knowing God's blessings is not just some one-time experience, but it is in fact a lifelong journey. One that has benefits not only in the life to come, but actually has very real, tangible application for you right now in how you live today. So why does God delight for us to grow in our understanding of his blessings? Well, I think because the more you know of God's blessings, the more he fills your heart with gratitude. The more he fills your heart with gratitude, look at how he begins this section in verse 15. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Notice Paul's response to the sovereignty of God in salvation. He's not, after looking at these first 14 verses of this, he's not raising questions or concerns. He's not seeking to answer questions. He's not even playing devil's advocate to what he has set forth in God's sovereign plan. No, in fact, his understanding of God's role in our redemption actually causes him to burst forth in praise and thanksgiving and prayer. The sovereignty of God is the fuel for Paul's worship. It's a very important principle that we must keep in mind as we read and we study Ephesians together, and it's that theology drives doxology. If you want me to put that more simply, think of it this way. What you believe about God determines how you respond to God. In particular, how you even pray. For Paul, the sovereignty of God is never an excuse for prayerlessness. Perhaps you've heard that before, and perhaps you've even thought that yourself. You've thought to yourself, if God is sovereign, if God is in control, and if God has a plan and he knows what he's going to do, why do I pray? 
It's a reasonable question, right? Why do I pray? If God is in control and he knows what he's going to do, why then do I pray? But here's what we must understand. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of prayer are never pitted against each other in the Bible. In fact, one of my professors in seminary says this way, he says, the reason we do pray is because we serve a sovereign God. In other words, the sovereignty of God is the basis of why we even have the ability to pray. Our prayers depend on a God who is able to change hearts and is the basis for our gratitude, especially for what he has done in you, in your own life. That's why Paul is able to begin this section by saying, for this reason. Well, what reason? Well, the reason that he's just talked about in these opening 14 verses. It's Paul's way of looking back on all the ways that God has shown his power and redemption, the wisdom of the the Father's plan to save, the sacrifice of the Son to purchase your salvation, the power of the Holy Spirit to seal you and secure you until eternity future. By constantly saying us and we, Paul is including himself in that prayer. He's speaking gospel truth to himself, which is something that we all must do each and every single day. And it's Paul's response, his response to uh, these spiritual blessings is to praise the Lord. To praise the Lord for all that he has done. You see, the more you know of God's blessings, the more he fills your heart with gratitude and thanksgiving and praise But not just for what he is done in your own life, but also for what he is doing in others, right? Paul's gratitude is particularly put on display for what he hears God is doing in the life of the Ephesian believers in the Ephesian church. Keep in mind, Paul is writing this letter where? From prison. It's been roughly six years or so since he's been actually with these people in Ephesus. And though he cannot see them physically, he can see God's work in them spiritually because of their faith in Christ and their love for one another. He is hearing reports of how God is using them mightily for his cause and shows that uh, they, they understand that the riches that they have in Christ because it has changed them. It, has, it is doing its work in their life. It is evident to all to be able to see. After all, faith is nothing apart from love. One of the necessary signs of genuine saving faith in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, is sacrificial love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. That you genuinely love one another, and you give yourself fully for the sake of one another. This is a church being built up, and Paul wants to encourage that work to continue by saying, I give thanks and I pray for you, remembering you in my prayers. And so I ask you this morning, it's the sovereign work of God creating this kind of heart attitude in your life. Are you a grateful Christian? That's a Really important question for you to ask this morning. Are you a grateful Christian who is constantly thanking God for what he has done in you and what he is doing in others? Or are you a complainer? Are you a grumbler? 
Because true understanding of all that you have been given in Christ makes you a blessed Christian who is grateful in all situations. If God's spiritual blessings are not producing greater worship in your life, then church, you're missing something. You're not understanding it. It's not truly sinking from your head to your heart the way that God intends it to because if it does, it transforms everything. Your attitude, your demeanor are so different. The more you know God's blessings, the more he will fill your heart with gratitude. But we also see in this passage that the more you grow in your understanding of God's blessings, the more God desires your spiritual growth the more he desires you to grow spiritually. Look at what he says in verses 17 and 18. He prays that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened. At the heart of this passage and at the heart of Paul's prayer is a desire it's a desire rooted in something that God alone, the, the Father of glory as he describes him here, can provide. What is it? It's a growing knowledge of God himself. That God delights for us to know more of himself so that you might rest in his sufficiency. So you might rest in his sufficiency. Paul prays here that God will grant the Ephesian believers a, a spirit of, of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. And so to be clear, he has already given him or has given them that Holy Spirit, right? The, the Holy Spirit does bring insight and clarity to the things of Scripture. And so by praying this, Paul is not asking God to give them something that they do not already have. No, he's asking that God would continue to show them all that they have been afforded and all that they have already been given in Christ. Because you see, we're so prone to forget, aren't we? so prone to, to let what is available to us go overlooked. I read the story this week of William Randolph Hearst. Rand, uh, William Randolph Hearst was an a American businessman in the early 1900s. He was a guy who owned an a, a extensive collection of artwork and beautiful pieces from around the world. And he was reading about this most beautiful, most magnificent piece of artwork that he realized he must have, he needed to have it. And so he uh, commissioned several investigators and people to go out into the world and to find this piece of art so that he might add it to his collection and he might be able to treasure it for what it is. Months and months went on and eventually these guys came back to him and uh, the lead guy gave him a report and you know what he told William Randolph Hearst? He says, sir, this piece of art that we've been searching for, you already own it. It's actually in one of your warehouses stored away, not being used. It's tragic that many Christians are often on a quest for something more when they have already been given everything that they need in Christ. God's spirit and God's inspired word have, given, have been given to you so that you might know him and all of the blessings that you have been given and all that is at your disposal. There's no need for you to search for extra revelation. There's no need for you to benefit of mystical experiences. 
Likewise, you are not lacking in what you need to live out this life faithfully until God calls you to glory. God's grace, church, is sufficient. And he desires that you know it and rest in it. But he also desires that you know him intimately. Not that you rest just in him sufficiently, but that you would know him intimately. James Montgomery Boyce was once asked by some college students, what is the most significant issue facing the church today? You know what Boyce's response to these college students was? He said this, I think that the greatest need of the evangelical church today is for professing Christians to really know God. Isn't that interesting? The most pressing issue was not anything cultural. It was not anything out there. It was that believers in Christ, evangelical Christians who have put their faith in Christ, would really know God. Church, God's desire for you is not that you would just know facts about him. He's not worried that you have a, a, a working knowledge of systematic theology. His desire is not that you are able to have all the right answers so that you're able to pass your biblical counselor's exam. Children in here this morning, kids, those of you who are in Awana, God's great desire for you is not that you memorize the most Awana verses. God's great desire for each of you is that you would know him, that you would know him, not just intellectually, but relationally, personally, that you love the one who has saved your soul, that you might better know all that he has given to you in Christ, that church, you would know that God's great desire for you is that you walk with him. And the more you know this, the more God shapes then the way that you pray, and specifically the way that you pray for others. This is what Paul writes about here in verses 18 to 23. And this is an important principle that we see from Paul's prayer for the Ephesians here. Having been filled with gospel gratitude and understanding God's great desire for his people, Paul better knows now how he prays for these people. And it's something that we can all learn from this morning because if we're honest, for a lot of us, most of our prayers are what I would call weak sauce. And weak sauce is a real thing. It's next to the fire sauce at Taco Bell, right? And if not weak, most of our prayers could certainly use a boost and greater purpose and intentionality behind them. It's not wrong for you to pray that your loved one might be healed. It's not wrong that your student, you pray that your student might pass their upcoming test. It's not wrong that you pray that your dad would eventually find a job or that your team does well or that your cat feels better. Maybe. I have mixed feelings about that one, but... But the big question to ask in every single one of those prayers is the question, why? Why do you pray that? Why do you pray that that person might be healed or might endure their suffering? Why do you pray that your child might pass that test? Why do you pray that your dad gets that job or that your team does well? Why? What's the purpose? What, are you, what is the higher goal? Because is it just that they feel more comfortable? 
Is it just that they are successful in this life? Or is there ultimately a bigger purpose that God has in mind for why we pray? Notice that Paul here does not pray for health. Paul does not pray for them financial security. He doesn't even pray that God would protect them from persecution. But what he does pray for is far bigger and is more powerful and is able to help them in all such situations that they encounter in life. So if Paul's prayer is focused on what these believers need to know, then we must look at each of them closely. So what exactly does Paul want these believers to know? Well, he wants them to know, first of all, their security in Christ. He wants them to know their security that they have been afforded in Christ. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, I want you to know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the hope to which he has called you? By having God open the eyes of their heart, Paul prays that they might comprehend what is the depth of their calling. What is this calling? What is this that he's speaking of here? Well, this is that divine call to salvation that we talked about back in verses 3 through 6. He wants them to understand their salvation all the more because when they do, it produces an important side effect, hope produces a result of hope. But this hope is not wishful thinking as we think of hope often in our culture. We think of hope as, well, man, I just, I hope this works out in the end. I hope this works out in our favor. That's not the type of hope that the Bible speaks of. No, this hope is grounded in assurance. The assurance that God will see us through to the end. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, Philippians 1.6. That if God is for us, who can ultimately be against us, Romans 8. This is a prayer here of perseverance to the end, no matter what we face. And we can be reminded of what we are ultimately called to. And so think about the way that this transforms the prayers that you offer up, especially for those who are sick and suffering that God would fill their minds with this eternal hope for which they have been called. It's not wrong, again, to pray that God would bring them healing, but in the midst of the trial, that they might know the hope to which he has called them. And the hope to which he has called them is not the hope in this life, but in the life to come. And that when they live that way and they show the world that their hope is set on something so much higher, imagine the testimony that is to the watching world. When they look at this person and say, you know what, this person, they suffer differently. If I were in their shoes, I would be complaining. I would be a grumbler. I would not be doing well with this. But this person endures differently. That's because the hope they have is not in this world. It's the hope to which they have been called to that they understand the security they have in Christ. But it's not just that he wants them to understand their security they have in Christ. He wants them to know their identity that they have in Christ. Verse 18, he says, what are the riches of, his, of the glorious inheritance in the saints? He wants them to know this truth, that it's not just some future reality as if something just as your inheritance only in heaven 
But it shows us how God views his people right here and now, that we are a rich inheritance to God. If you remember a few weeks ago when Tyson was uh, speaking to us, he reminded that in many ways there's a dual nature to this idea of an inheritance, that in many ways our inheritance is in God, that we get to have God one day. And the flip side of this is also evident here in this passage, the fact that we, to God, are considered an inheritance, that we are part of his rich inheritance himself. Translation, you are immensely valuable to God. You are immensely valuable to God. You are his inheritance that he longs to one day be reunited with. I mean, think about it. You are his bride, church. You are his bride. Imagine a a husband on his honeymoon without his wife. Hopefully that's never happened to you in this room. And if you do, you have a great story. I want to hear it. but. But that's the way that Christ views his church. He is longing for the day when he will be reunited to his bride forever. And when we know our blessings in Christ, we can pray that others might better know who God has made them to be that they are accepted and that they are approved by God Almighty. And so we think about the way that this impacts our prayer for our Christian child who is struggling to find acceptance and approval with their friends in school. That we might be able to pray for them that they understand the riches of how God has already accepted them, the way that God values them and treasures them, that they've already been approved by him that they don't need to seek for it in their friendships. They don't need to seek for it in their grades. They don't need to seek approval on the basketball court or the football field, whatever it may be. No, they've already been accepted. They've already been approved. God has made them his inheritance, and he longs for them. Changes the way they think. Changes the way we pray for them. It changes not only the fact that we want people to know their security in Christ and their identity in Christ, we also want them to know their ability in Christ. We want them to know how they can actually live with power here and now. Verse 19 speaks about what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, listen church, toward us who believe. In other words, He wants us to know that there is a power that is available to each and every one of us who would put our faith in him. Paul's final expression of prayer is that the Ephesian believers know the full power of God that has been made available to them. And verse 19 is such an interesting verse. Listen to the way he describes this here. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Now, that sentence, you wouldn't know it, but there are four different terms that Paul is using in that single sentence alone to describe power. Each of them kind of showing, a it's not trying to show nuances, but trying to show the full facet of power that is available to us. He uses all these different terms. He uses a term that just means power in general. It's a word that means uh, we have the ability to do something. The word might, which means dominion or mastery. The word great, which describes inherent strength. And that word working, which is actually a word from which we get energy. It's power in actual operation. 
So to, to give you an idea of just exactly what Paul's doing with using all these terminology here, let's think about this from those of you who work for Caterpillar, because I know we got a lot of cat people in here. He's doing some studying here this week. The Cat 11 TCD Bulldozer. This is ranked as the number three largest bulldozer in the world. This thing is massive. Stands 15 feet high, 35 feet long, weighing 112 tons. 913 horsepower engine. I'm acting like I know all this stuff, but this is all just my research. And a blade, that scoop there, nearly 22 feet long and nine and a half feet tall, capable of moving 43 cubic meters of dirt at once. I don't actually know what that looks like, but I know one thing, that's a lot of dirt. Think about this in terms of how Paul is describing the power of God. You know just from your knowledge of bulldozers that bulldozers are powerful. That's one type of power. But by looking at this bulldozer here, you sense, just by looking at it, that it has great power. It has the ability to do great things. But when somebody jumps into that driver's seat and it roars up that engine and you begin to see it move and hear that engine roar, you get a greater inherent sense that this thing is powerful beyond belief. But it's only when you see this bulldozer come knocking through this wall over here that you fully understand this thing is powerful. The Cat 11 TCD bulldozer has amazing power. And yet it is nothing compared to the power available to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How powerful is it? Paul gives us four examples of it in these verses. In verse 20, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Verses 20 to 21, it's the same power that seated Jesus in the heavens. Verses 21 to 22, it's the same power that put Jesus over all things. In verses 22 to 23, it's the same power that unites Jesus with his church. And if time allowed, we look at each of these in greater detail. But for the sake of clarity, let's sum up this power in two very practical ways for those of us who believe. First, it's the power to overcome. It's the power to overcome. Resurrection power in particular is victory power. I think we best see this on display in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, where Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for those of you who believe and who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How powerful is this power? Well, guess what? It's the same power that raised your dead soul to life that cause you to be born again. It is the power that gives you the ability to battle and to overcome the temptations of the evil one. For greater is he who is in you, church, than he who is in the world. 
And it is the very power that guarantees your life is not in vain, but that you too will one day be resurrected and that you will live forever with God. That's overcoming power. It's the assurance that God will make an end to all things, a right end. He will make it all right in the end, which includes triumphing over the enemies in this world. All rule, all authority that sets itself up against the authority of Christ. And the good news for us Christians is that God gives us the game plan to help us know a very important truth. He wins in the end. He wins, and you can know that, and yet so often we don't live that way. We don't live as if we don't understand what the end goal is for God, and he has assured us he has the end in mind, and so this helps us pray better for the believers who are struggling with temptation, for the believer who is setting his hope more on the things in this world than in the life to come to remind them that God has it all in mind. That he has the power to overcome every evil system that exists here and now. And that he is able to bring you through to the very end. That you yourself will be a conqueror. You yourself will be an overcomer in Christ. It's not just the power to overcome. It's also the power to obey. The power to obey. This power helps us recognize the rule and authority of Jesus over us, that he is seated high above all rulers and authorities and powers and names. You have to think about the Ephesian context here. This was a a group of people that worshipped all kinds of foreign deities, the the god Artemis. They they had in mind here with these terms supernatural or demonic powers. We think about in our, our culture, in our context, we can think of governing authorities or charismatic leaders or even the influence that our peers have over us. But God has shown Christ to be worthy and more powerful than all. That his voice is the ultimate voice that matters for us to submit to. And it culminates in verses 22 and 23 in its most practical application for this letter as Christ is given as head to the body the church which he fills up. Simply put, he is her authority. And his authority, church, listen to me, his authority for you, it's a good authority. Do not look at God with skepticism. Do not look at his word with hesitation as if he does not have your best interests in mind. God's authority is good and we are reminded in 2 Peter 1.3 that his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And so we can pray that believers might walk in obedience to Christ, that they might know his good authority for their lives, and that they might ultimately walk worthy of the calling to which they have been called So as we think about all that Paul has laid before us this morning ask ourselves, what do we do with this? believe that Paul's call for us this morning is that we would pray. And specifically, that we would pray that God would build up our local church body in the knowledge of himself. 
You see, the more Newcastle Bible Church understands the riches that we have been afforded in God, the more God will cause us to grow deeper and reach farther for his greater glory. And so, church, we must pray. We must pray. We must not attempt this work in our own strength. This power that we've talked about today, it is divine and it is supernatural. And it is not just something that we can conjure up in our own strength. We must cast ourselves before the throne of grace, not only for ourselves, but also for our brothers and sisters in Christ, expressing our complete dependence upon God to do this work in and through us. So you may ask yourself this morning, what does that look like? Where do I even start to do this in our church? And if that's you, I'm glad you're asking that question because I have a few suggestions for you. I want you to think about all the ways that we seek to build one another up in prayer that maybe you might not realize that is an opportunity for you here at this church. Perhaps you need to be praying more for the pastors who are uh, and the leaders who are putting these truths before you, that you would grow in this knowledge. Guess what? We have a prayer service that takes place before each of our morning services, just over here in this North classroom, led by FIP. It's a great time. It's a small group right now. We would love for more people to join in and be a part of God's power at work in prayer there. Perhaps it starts by just praying for the needs of the saints that come out in that weekly email list that we get on Wednesdays. Praying for the needs of our church, praying for our go partners, praying for our partner churches. Speaking of our go partners, perhaps you need to be praying for them because it's easy to forget about them, isn't it? If you were to go up into our uh, to our go wall here on the south side of the building, you would notice on the wall there there are prayer passports that specifically highlight each of our global partners who are serving around the globe and around this country in specific ways that you can be praying for them. Perhaps you need to be praying for the young people in our church. Guess what? There's a table right at the back of this room right now that after service you can go and you can sign up to pray for a student who's going to Ascend Camp in two weeks, who's going to have the Word of God preached to their heart, and they need to have that Word transform them. Guess what? I'm inviting all of you to be a part of that. Go, sign up, be a part of it. Perhaps you just need to grow in your understanding of prayer more. Guess what? Wednesday night, this week, for the next five weeks over in Goodfield, we're going to be teaching on prayer. A couple of our pastoral interns are going to be leading us in some just practical prayer teaching and instruction and doing that together. We want you to be a part of it. We're going to have an upcoming ADE here in a few weeks on prayer. Our resource center over here, packed with resources on prayer. Church, we need you to grow in prayer. I need you to grow in prayer. Your elders, your leaders, your spiritual shepherds in this church, and every single person in these seats this morning need you to grow in prayer. Because a church without prayer will never be built up, but will always be on the verge of collapsing. It is God's good design that he invites all of us into this journey. Because the more we know him, the more we pray that others would know him. And guess what? The more others know him, 
the more they pray that you would know him. And it's this beautiful cycle that goes on and on and on until God calls us to glory. It is the way that God builds up the body for our own good and for his greater glory. Praise God for his wisdom, church. Praise God for it. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come again before you now, we are reminded of our complete dependence upon you because you are the source of all wisdom. You are the source of all hope. You are the source, Lord, of all power that is able to transform Newcastle Bible Church, not for our own glory, but, Lord, ultimately for your glory, for your name's sake. Father, too many of us have grown content to just live in the church and relate to you in a superficial level. And it's my prayer now that as your word is laid bare before their hearts, that you would stir in our people a greater desire to know you and that as a result of it, they would seek to lift one another up in prayer. That all of us as a church, as a body that represents you here in this world, Lord, we would grow and we would live and we would hope and we would encourage and we would live differently that others might see that you are a God who is worthy to be praised. Great is your name, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. And it's in that great name that we pray now. Amen. Well, we've been singing a couple songs this morning that are prayers, and so it'd be fitting to end end the service after a sermon like that with a song that's a prayer. And as we sing, Be Thou My Vision, we're asking the Lord to be the consuming center of all our thoughts and everything we do in life. But as we sing it and pray for it ourselves, I want you to sing with sing this song with everyone else in the church in mind as well, that you're singing not just to God, but we sing hymn songs and spiritual songs to one another, exhorting each other, encouraging each other, so that we can rejoice together when God is our consuming mindset in life. So if you're able, please stand with us as we sing, Be Thou My Vision. Be thou my will. 
there in that final line that Christ is the ruler of all. And as the ruler of all, he has supplied all that we need for life and for godliness until the day that we do reach heaven's joys. Until then, we must join arms with one another here and praying for one another that God would unite us to carry out his work because it is not a work that we can do individually. It is a work that we rely on for one another with. And it's a work that we are excited to unpack as we continue our journey through this great letter in the weeks and months ahead. Excited, please be praying for us as we continue to ask God to do his work through this church and see how he transforms us as results. And so as we conclude our time, it's appropriate that we pray together. We will pray out our benediction here from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, which is a perfect, fitting benediction for us as we contemplate all that we've learned this morning. So would you pray this with me? It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. All right. May God bless you as you carry out his worship this week. Amen.